following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. It was a day very much like our own. Prosperity was flowing. Business was good. People were having a good time. It was a very eclectic culture with many different religions represented. There were good international relationships. Everything seemed to be on the up and up. And then Jeremiah came into the picture. Now for 30 years there had been no word from God. He had withdrawn. 
and the people had not even noticed that God was gone. No one said, Where is the Lord? The priest did not say, Where is the Lord? Nobody missed the Lord. The, the rituals of the sanctuary went on as they always had. False prophets were on every corner prophesying greater and greater prosperity. New ideas were flowing into Judah. And then came the priest, Jeremiah. And the word of the Lord to Jeremiah was startling, frightening, heartbreaking. It was very much like our day. Today, pastors on every corner are preaching prosperity and giving strategies for how you can make more money, have a happier life, deal with conflict, principles of living. But where's Jesus? And how long has it been since there has been a pouring out of the Holy Spirit a revival like Jonathan Edwards had or John Wesley or George Whitfield or the revival in the New Hebrides or the Welsh revival how long has it been since America has had a refreshing from God and yet I don't hear anyone saying where's Jesus Where's the Holy Spirit? No, we seem to be getting along fine without him. The pastors are better educated than any time in history. They have more graduate degrees. The music is flowing. The bands are playing. The orchestras are all lit up. The worship services are short and succinct so that people can get in and get out. As one man said to me, I love our pastor. And I said, why do you love him? Well, because he always tells some interesting stories and some jokes and we laugh and we're inspired. And it's only 15 to 20 minutes and then we're free to go out and enjoy the rest of our day. Where is Jesus? I'm very sober as I come today once more. My heart is extremely heavy. We are so full of our own opinions. We're, as Americans, very opinionated. We're very confident in what we believe. We gossip. We grumble. We pass judgments. We know we're right. How many times has God had to come to me and smite me and humble me? I tell you, he's done it to me time after time after time. And frankly, how many times do I have to be humbled before I'll catch on and then stand only on the word of God and not be in any measure 
a pleaser of people, while still loving people and while still bringing them along with me, but preaching just the straight word of God without opinion. Sometimes I become defensive, trying to protect myself against an onslaught. And of course, that's sin before God. So I have to repent. And I do, quickly, as soon as I see it. And my heart is humbled once more. Well, let me read what Jeremiah said in the sixth chapter. I'll begin with verse 10. To whom can I speak and give warning? Who will listen to me? Their ears are closed, or the word literally means in the Hebrew, uncircumcised. Literally, these are people who have their own agenda and their own way, and they're producing what they desire, and they don't depend on the Lord God of heaven anymore. You see, circumcision means that the men as they're circumcised, are saying, production only comes from the Lord. It doesn't come from me. But when I begin to feel like I'm the producer and I'm the one in charge, then I can say whatever I want to say to anyone I want to say it to. It doesn't matter if it's true or not as long as it gains me the result and gives me the recognition and and creates a place for me of importance, I can do whatever I want to do. That's an uncircumcised and closed ear. Jeremiah continues, The word of the Lord is offensive to them. They find no pleasure in it. But I am full of the wrath of the Lord, and I cannot hold it in. So Jeremiah sees truly the spiritual condition of Israel, and he recognizes the spiritual condition of Judah. And he recognizes the word of the Lord is that Judah is going to go into captivity as Israel has. That Jerusalem will be burned, and all he can do is weep. But how can he tell people that they must turn from their judgments and their strong opinions. How can he tell people, look, trust in the Lord? Their ears are not attuned to even begin to hear that message. He says, pour it out on the children in the street. And on the young men gathered together, both husband and wife will be caught in it, and the old, those weighed down with years, their homes will be turned over to others, together with their fields and their wives, when I stretch out my hand against those who live in the land. He's saying, your wives are going to be taken from you and given to other men. Why? Because you have this strong, hard-hearted, bullying spirit. I'm saying, oh Lord, forgive me for my strong opinions and my defense. 
sometimes what I do is instead of talking to people when I feel attacked, I just quietly move ahead with what I believe is right and leave them behind. And the Lord has rebuked me for this and said, stop, slow down. Bring your church family along with you. Bring your family with you. Well, when you're hurting and you're distressed, you're attacked, you're defensive. It's hard to stop. And the opinions become very strong. Why am I being treated this way? It's wrong. The lies that are being spoken, they're wrong. And in that place, the Lord comes and says, humble your heart. And we're smitten. In my life, the Lord has caused me to come before him with fear and trembling and wait upon him. The problem is, when I've done that, there are still people that I've hurt. And I have to stop a moment and ask, have you hurt other people by your strong bullying opinions? Like I have? Have you charged like a horse into battle? Like I have? Do you yell and scream, maybe not out loud, but in your spirit? And judge? like I have? When we think we're right, it's really hard to back down. When we think we've got it all together and everybody else, nobody else has it together, I have it together. It's very hard to back down from that. And Jeremiah is saying, look, you're in trouble. And then I go to this incredible story in 1 Samuel, second chapter. There's a priest there by the name of Eli. And Hannah has come and she's praying. And Eli is the high priest in Shiloh, the place where God has placed his tabernacle, where his presence has been. And this precious woman, Hannah, she's crying out to God. And all the judgments are against her. But she's crying and weeping before God, and she's barren. And as she cries out before God, Eli judges her as a, as a drunk, as an alcoholic and says, how long will you keep on getting drunk? Get rid of your wine. This self-righteous man who's walked in bold sin before God while being the high priest. It's real easy when your place is secure to become very judgmental. And Hannah just humbly replies, no, not so, my Lord. I'm a woman who is deeply troubled. 
I've not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I've been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Have you ever judged another for being wicked when in fact they've just been pouring their heart out to God but you've given them the cold shoulder and the judgment that's what happened to Hannah Eli reverses course immediately and he says go in peace may the Lord God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him and when she goes home she conceives and she gives birth to Samuel the young boy who will be given to Eli and to the Lord to minister in the tabernacle. Now, Eli has two sons. They're wicked. They serve also as priests in the house of the Lord, but they have no regard. They don't know the Lord. That's the secret. They don't know the Lord. They only know their own passions. They only know their own religion. But they don't know the mercy and compassion of the living God of heaven, and they don't know the righteousness of this living God of heaven. They think they are free to enjoy the benefits of their position with no regard for what God thinks about their behavior. I've said to you today, yesterday, and Monday and last week, I tremble at the presence of God. When the door of heaven opens and he begins to speak, you know he's very close by, he's very personal, and he judges everything we say and do no motive can be hidden. His word is sharper than a two-edged sword, divining bone and marrow. God knows our hearts. And he knows if we're drifting along with the culture, with the good times, living out our normal life, our busy life with Americanism. He knows whether we know him or not. Not whether we know about him. Do we know him personally? Do we know his ways? Does he speak to us? Or are we so full of ourselves? So full of our own opinions? That he can't get a word in edgewise? I've said, oh God. Lord Jesus. Remove myself from me. That I would not be so full of myself that I cannot hear the word of the Lord. And I tell you, when I, when I get a bone in my mouth, I'm like a dog. It's hard to let go of that bone. It's my bone. It's my contention. It's my belief. I've been wronged. Or I'm going to wrong someone, and it's okay because I have a right to judge them. Oh, 
my dear brothers and sisters, it is time for me and for you to humble our hearts before an almighty God and repent that we have not asked the question, where is Jesus? And that we've raced on with our own agendas and our own ways and our own practices full of our own opinions. And frankly, these opinions become even more public when we're in pain. When God is pinching us, that's when our most virulent opinions begin to flow forth. One of the things the Lord has said to me is, don't bite. I did not give you a wolf nature. I gave you a lamb nature. Well, Lord, I want to bite sometimes. No, Ray, if you bite, I'll leave you. If you go angry and bitter, I will leave you. You will force me to leave you. And I say, O God, while on others thou art calling, do not pass me by. I can't think of anything worse than for God to pass me by. And I'm terrified because God is in the process of deciding whether he will pass America by or whether he will send his Holy Spirit to revive us once more. I'm pleading with him with brokenness and tears. Please do not pass us by as we stand in our self-righteousness and our pride and our opinions. We've done the research. We know. Really? No, God knows. God is the judge, not me, not you. God is the judge. I plead with you. Deliberately choose to humble your heart before God and cry out for refreshing to come from heaven for America. I've been praying that the judgment that comes upon America would bring revival, not destruction. For I know God is ready to deal with America. And he's either going to pour out a blessing for us, or he's going to bring absolute destruction upon us, for we certainly deserve absolute destruction. And if you're saying in your heart, wait a minute, Pastor, why are you talking this way to us? Go read Jeremiah. That's the same thing they said. And they ended up being taken to Babylon. Many of them were slain by the sword. They lost their children. They went into slavery. Jerusalem was burned. I don't want that to happen to Washington, D.C. But I am here to tell you today, I'm not a prophet, I'm not the son of a prophet, but I'm warning you today, Washington, D.C. will burn. It will be destroyed. It will be utterly leveled if there is not a total repentance in this metro area. 
if we do not humble our hearts before Almighty God. Many will die. And then people are going to say, why did God let this happen? God let it happen because of our pride and our strong opinions and our running to every evil thing with no regard for the God of heaven. Now, Eli's sons treated the sacrifices of God that the people brought to the altar with contempt, demanding from them not boiled meat, but only raw meat because they wanted to roast their filet mignons. They were in a position to actually militarily force the people and take the meat that they wanted. This sin was very great in the Lord's sight. Eli was old. He heard about everything his sons were doing to all of Israel, how they slept with the women who served at the entrance to the tent of meeting. It was a sexually unclean situation. So Eli said to his sons, Why do you do such things? I hear from all the people about these wicked deeds of yours. No, my sons, it's not a good report that I hear spreading among the Lord's people. If a man sins against a man, God may mediate for him. But if a man sins against the Lord, who will intercede for him? His sons, however, did not listen to their father's rebuke. And Eli did not discipline his sons by removing them from the priesthood. It was the Lord's will. He had already made the decision that he was going to execute these two boys. <laughs> he sent a prophet with a word of rebuke to Eli. And then you know the story. Samuel does not yet know the word of the Lord. It hasn't been revealed to him. He doesn't know yet that the Lord is personal and private. He doesn't know yet that the Lord will speak audibly to him. And the Lord comes and speaks. First he goes to Eli and Eli says, No, I didn't call you. And then he goes and lies down again. God calls him again. He reveals to Samuel exactly what he's going to do. Eli bullies Samuel into telling him what the Lord has said. And then the judgment begins. And the Philistines come to fight against Israel. Israel's defeated by the Philistines and they kill some 4,000 men. The soldiers return to camp and the elders of Israel ask, Why did the Lord bring defeat upon us today before the Philistines? They don't know. They don't understand the spiritual reality of the God of heaven. They've gone through their rituals for so long, but they don't know the Lord. 
They don't know him personally. They can't comprehend why God would let this happen to them. They don't understand that the sinful behavior of the nation has filled up the cup, and now God is going to bring judgment. This is a strange thing to them. All of you have a cup also. How full is your cup, do you know? Some of you have filled up your cup of iniquity. You've played with sin so long and you've been lied to and told that, oh God, God understands and, and he's going to save you. You can't be lost. No, when your cup of iniquity is full, God will bring judgment upon your life. And if it's not quite full, when you die, you will face the judgment and you will gain what you have earned by rebelling against the Most High God. Well, they think that their safety is in the Ark of the Covenant because that's where the presence of God is. And they look at it as some kind of religious relic, almost as something like a good, a good luck charm. They don't understand that this is the God of heaven, the creator of heaven and earth, the judge of all the earth. They don't understand that this is the God who led them out of Pharaoh's Egypt and into the promised land. They've gone to sleep. So they bring the ark and they bring the priests with it, Hophni and Phinehas, and there's much rejoicing and celebration because now they're all very certain that they're going to win in this battle. And the battle begins. And the Philistines fight and the Israelites are defeated. And more than 30,000 men die that day. The Ark of God is captured Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, die. Now, later that night, Eli is sitting in a chair beside the road, watching, his heart fearing for the ark of God. The men come in, setting up a cry. Eli heard the outcry and asked, What's the meaning of this uproar? He's blind. He's blind physically and he's blind spiritually. They come over to Eli, who was 98 years old, and they tell, they tell Eli, Israel fled before the Philistines and the army suffered heavy losses. Also your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, they're dead and the ark of the Lord has been captured. When they mentioned the ark of God, Eli was so startled and so upset he fell backward off the chair and his neck is broken and he died. He died. The wife of Phineas was pregnant near the time of delivery and when she heard the news that the ark of God had been captured, that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she went into labor and gave birth but was overcome by labor pains. She named the newborn boy Ichabod saying the glory has departed from Israel and we find the ark of God taken to the land of Israel 
from the land of Israel to the land of the Philistines. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? There's a passage of scripture in Jeremiah that I keep coming back to. It's Jeremiah, the the sixth chapter. I'll begin with verse 13. From the least to the greatest, declares the Lord, all are greedy for gain. Their prophets and priests alike all practice deceit. They dress the wound of my people as though it were not serious. That is, they dress the wound of my people as though it were superficial and healing. Nothing to worry about. Peace, peace, they say. But there is no peace. Are they ashamed of their loathsome conduct? No, they have no shame at all. They don't even know how to blush. No shame. So they will fall among the fallen, and they will be brought down when I punish them, says the Lord. Please hear me today. Unless there is a dramatic change in this city, the punishment of God is going to fall And this city is going to be burned with fire. And many will fall and die. So this is what the Lord says. This is what the Lord says to you and to me. Stand at the crossroads and look ask for the ancient paths ask where the good way is and walk in it he's saying that all of us are at a crossroad and as we stand at this crossroad and consider our actions some will not even consider their actions and they will rush right on through that crossroad You've been through crossroads many times, I'm sure, as you've traveled in the country. In the middle of town, there's a crossroad. And you have to see where the traffic sign is pointing for your route, or you will leave the route. He's saying, at that crossroad, when you come to it, look, open your eyes. See your own condition before God. Are you spending earnest time praying? Are you spending time every day reading the scriptures and praying? Are you spending time every day checking your behavior and your strong opinions and asking the Lord God what he thinks? He's saying, stand at that crossroad. Don't rush through the crossroad. Stop. 
consider which way to go. Remember I shared yesterday that according to the book of Psalm, the psalmist, our actions, our deeds are what cause us to be accused by God of committing adultery or prostitution. It's where we choose to go. It's what we choose to say. It's how we treat other people. It's what we do that matters. And if you're simply going through life blind and dumb, you will end up like Eli's sons as God brings judgment. And if no judgment comes, there is a judgment we must face when we die. So we must stand at that crossroad and we must open our eyes and say, what am I doing with my life? What has Jesus called me to? How am I treating those that I'm supposed to love? What is the reality of my heart? What is my heart condition before an almighty God? For what happens in our life is controlled by Jesus himself. Everything you do is under the gaze of Jesus. And he will bring blessings or judgment depending on what you choose to do with him and with others. There is a direct cause and effect relationship between what we do and what we don't do. We're to stand at that crossroads and not rush through because if you rush through and you miss the good way, you'll have to backtrack a long, a long ways. You'll have to search. Remember when the parents of Jesus left Jerusalem, forgetting their responsibility to care for Jesus, they assumed that he was with the family somewhere else. They assumed wrong. He was not in the crowd going back to Nazareth. And when they finally discovered that Jesus was not anywhere to be found, they had to walk all the way back to Jerusalem by themselves, risky, lest they be robbed. They had to walk all the way back to Jerusalem, and then they began to search Jerusalem. Search Jerusalem. Finally, they went to the temple. But it took them three days of searching before they finally found Jesus again. If you have rushed through that crossroad and you come to your senses, it may take you three days of going back to that crossroad. It may be three years. It may be longer. 
as you earnestly search for Jesus and repent before him. Do you see what I'm saying today? This is so serious. God is so real. His judgments are so active. His love is so compassionate and kind. His mercy is so great for us. But he asks us, please stop at the crossroad before you charge forward and do something. Slow it down. <laughs> now I tell you, I don't like slow. I like fast. I don't like slow. I like fast. I like to get things done. I'm a get-or-done guy. I'm a gotta-do, gotta-do, gotta-do guy. And the Lord says, slow down. Stop at that crossroad. Look carefully. Make sure that you can identify where the ancient path is. Don't follow some new American way. Search for the ancient path, the way that those have trod the way to heaven before us. This is Pilgrim's Progress, and I'm Ray Greenley, the pastor of the National Prayer Chapel. Why I love Pilgrim's Progress so much is that it speaks about this narrow path that we are to walk. It's an ancient path. It's the same path that Paul had to walk and Peter had to walk and James and John. It's the same path the martyrs had to walk. It's the same path that John Wesley had to walk and Charles Wesley, Charles Whitfield. It's the same path. It's an ancient path. It's an old path. And we're asked, we're to ask, where's the good way? That's how you identify the ancient path. It is the good way. It's the righteous way. It's the way of love and joy and peace and long-suffering, and mercy, kindness, patience. It doesn't take offense. It's an ancient path. It's not the path of vengeance. It's not the path of anger and bitterness. It's not the path of strong opinions. It's not the path of grumbling, murmuring, judging it's the good path it's the righteous path it's the path of love and compassion are you on that path today or are you on the path of bitterness and anger what path are you traveling on and where is that path going to take you Have you held a grudge in your heart? This coming Sunday, we're going to hold a solemn assembly at the National Prayer Chapel. 
and we're going to celebrate our Father who art in heaven. Now, a psalm assembly is found in Scripture in a number of places, and we'll speak about that. We're going to put up some material on the webpage. You may want to check it out. But a solemn assembly is when we come together, we pray. There's time for anyone to talk about the path that they're on and make confession. There's time for the word. There's time for giving. It's a special kind of worship service. I want to invite you to come. Now let me tell you where to come and when. We meet at the All Saints Anglican Church in Woodbridge, Virginia, right next to the Hilton Memorial Chapel. The address is 14851 Gideon Drive. 14851 Gideon Drive, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22192 is the zip. You can also go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. There you'll find the information for where the National Prayer Chapel meets. I'd like to invite you to come to a solemn assembly to hear what the Lord will say to you. It's for people who are hungry for Jesus. It's for those of us who will humble our hearts before an almighty God. You may say, well, that's Father's Day. Yes, that's why we're doing it on Father's Day, because we're going to celebrate our Father who art in heaven. (laughs) Bring your Father and come. I know he'll enjoy it. Again, it's All Saints Anglican Church, 14851, Gideon Drive, Woodbridge, Virginia. We're just off Route 95. Drive around to the back side of the church, and there you'll see double glass doors come in through those double glass doors, ground level, and you'll find the worship center for the National Prayer Chapel on the left-hand side. If you go in the front door upstairs from the main parking lot and you ask for us they may not know where we're at because a number of churches are renting that facility during that hour so you're welcome to come the word is stand at the crossroads don't rush through look carefully Ask for the ancient path, and you'll identify it, as Bunyan said, because it's always straight and it's always narrow. The word of the Lord in Jeremiah 6 says, Ask where the good way is, because that straight and narrow path is the righteous way. It is the good way. It is the loving way. It is the merciful and kind way. Look for that way. And then walk in it. If it takes you off your former track, that's okay. Follow the good way. 
and what will happen to you if you do this? The Lord says you will find rest for your soul. The soul is our personality. Rest is literally a place of repose, a a bedroom. He's saying if you're tired, you're going to find rest for your soul. You're going to find a place where where the presence of God is powerful. But if you say, no, I'm not going to walk in it. I'm going to go my own way. He says, I've appointed watchmen over you and said, listen to the sound of the trumpet. But you said, we will not listen. Therefore, hear, O nations. Therefore, hear, O Washington, D.C. Observe, witness what will happen to them. Hear, O earth, I am bringing disaster on this people the fruit of their schemes, because they have not listened to my words and have rejected my law. What do I care about incense from Sheba? He's saying, what do I care about your formal worship services? What do I care about your bringing these burnt offerings, these sacrifices? They don't please me. I want you to find the crossroad and I want you to look and I want you to ask in that place for the ancient path I want you to ask where the good way is the righteous way and I want you to walk in it and I want to grant to you rest and peace listen to the watchman that God has appointed to speak this word to you. Hear the word of the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord. Now I rejoice today in the wonderful letters that I'm receiving, the long letters, the gifts to help us with radio for this month. I can't thank you enough for your encouragement Many of you have sensed the heaviness of my heart and you've been encouraging me and I thank you for that. I've been encouraged by your by your stand for Jesus and your humbleness of heart. If you'd like to write to me, I'd love to hear from you. You can write to the National Prayer Chapel Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. That's the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Now let's pray. Oh Lord, I've faithfully spoken your word today with love and compassion I pray Lord that every person who has heard this word will stop at the crossroad and will examine very carefully the options the highways that go through that crossroad and that you will show them the ancient path the good way the righteous way. 
and that you will give my brothers and sisters and that you will give to me the courage to wait upon you for the pouring out of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we need that time of refreshing in Washington, D.C. And without it, we are going to die. Your judgments are going to come upon this city and we are going to be destroyed if you do not send the rain. Lord, would you send the rain? Would you send the refreshing of your Holy Spirit from on high? Would you turn aside your judgments against Washington, D.C. in this nation? And would you call forth your people to weep before you, to wait upon you, to search for that ancient path, that you would send that time of refreshing once more upon your people? Lord Jesus, come. Come, Lord Jesus, and pour out the rain. I pray in your holy name. Amen. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley. I pastor the National Prayer Chapel. God bless you, my brother, my sister. Search for the ancient path. Thank you for listening. I'll talk to you soon. You blameless before the presence of